0: Welcome to The Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of The Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Eric Duhan on the line. Eric, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our conversation, and thank you for being a part of the show. So, share with the audience a little bit about you and and this awesome work that you do, and in marketing and and, and all the stuff that you do.
1: Yeah, Um, so uh, you know, I'm a co-founder of Open Influence. Uh, Started the company uh, just over eight years ago, pretty much right out of college, and uh, you know was you know we're we're an influencer marketing company, and we were you know just really looking uh for an opportunity prior to starting the company uh for for a way to market an app i had and and was trying different things and um really stumbled across working with people on social that weren't celebrities just had a large following and uh you know just just grew grew from there uh and uh yeah i've been doing this for eight years and experience doing all things influencer working with all sorts of brands and industries and across all you know types of uh, influencer verticals as well.
0: So when you're working with people that aren't necessarily well known, but they have you know a pretty decent following on social media, you know what what are some of the things? that they did to get to that level. Was it just consistency or connecting with a lot of people over a period of time, or was there just some curious just to see, you know, how, how some of those people were able to, you know, get a a pretty decent following without necessarily being quote unquote famous.
1: Yeah. I, I think the right way to look at it, it's, it's like a marketplace, right? And if you could picture the influencer world as a marketplace where you have people on one side, consuming the content and then other people creating the content that they consume. And so really when you think about supply and demand is sort of that driver. Um, And, and when you think about in that lens, uh, you know, um, a lot of influencers like companies do, right. They came early to a platform. They created a type of content that, you know, that was maybe underserved where there was demand for it. And they addressed that market. They grew organically, with the platform, with their audience. Um, and, and that tends to be really how, how a lot of influencers get started, um, you know, like with any new platform, the most opportunities early on, like with any new industry, right? The first movers have that first mover advantage. And so, um, you know, that, that's that's really it. And we, you know, we saw it with Instagram early on, we saw it last year and even now with TikTok with influencers and we're seeing it really unfolds um, in front of our eyes on Clubhouse. Yeah,
0: the Clubhouse thing is something that, you know, I've dived into a little bit and, you know, I was actually, you know, jumped into a call earlier and I saw that Tom Peters, now he's a leadership guru that I have followed since the late eighties. And he's there just having a conversation with some people. And I'm like, I'm literally in a room with somebody that I've been following for decades. And you know, and, you know, I got in there late, so I wasn't able to you know raise my hand and ask a question because uh, I didn't even know he was doing one. And it looks yeah. like you know, based on his followings, he, he, I think he signed up today. So I was like, okay, well, you know, caught that one. But it, it's it's interesting. And in all of those platforms, it's the early ones that tend to grab the traction because you know, Clubhouse is here. Now we know that all the other social media platforms are going. Okay, we need to do the social audio thing. But it's like okay, yeah, you might be able to get some inroads on that. But my hunch is, unless they are able to copy it in such a way, uh, and or how it's set up too, because I think about this. For example, you know, famous people are on Clubhouse. Okay, you can't DM them on there. You can only access them based on. If they say, yeah, I'll, I'll chat with you kind of thing, um, doesn't have any other personal information other than their social media thing. So it protects them. They can say, yeah, I can go in and I can have a conversation without worrying about you know someone calling me on my cell phone type of deal where you know a platform like Facebook, for example, I mean, yeah, you could do it from your Facebook page type of thing, but you don't necessarily, you may accidentally sign up under your personal Facebook profile, which Sometimes can have a lot more information on it than you'd want to share, uh, just with everybody. So it's going to be interesting to see how those other platforms can adapt to this and still provide, I think, that safety net that a lot of influencers and famous people have, you know, behind you know the Clubhouse, you know, methodology and in the way that they have things set up.
1: Yep, yep, yeah. I, I, I think to Clubhouse is unique. It's really a platform centered around subject matter expertise and domain expertise, right? And so um, I, I, I I think in terms of, like, market opportunity, um, there it opens up the door for people that aren't just, you know, new parents posting nice pictures or great video creators. Like, it really just opens up the door for, like, a lot of thought leaders um, where they could share their domain expertise in a much more, comfortable format, similar to like a panel at a conference or, or, or whatnot, right? Or a conference call. Um, so like the, the level of, of content complexity is fairly low. Barrier to entry to create that kind of content is pretty low. And so um, it's really great for subject matter experts who aren't necessarily content creators. It, it, it allows them to be content creators with less difficulty.
0: Yeah, it's it's really easy to get in. I know a lot of people are still complaining that, hey, it's not on Android. It's not on Android. Well, yeah. sometime in the month of May is what I'm hearing that it's going to open up. So yep. if you are on Clubhouse and you're starting to move some things around and, and starting to get a little bit of traction, you're going to have a tsunami of people that have been wanting to get on the platform jump in. So yep. it's a great opportunity from a marketing standpoint to say, okay, let's let's get everything ready to go because once you have that market open up, it you know, it's you, know, the Google play store is going to be slammed with people downloading it because they're going to want to be on it. And, and then they're going to be looking around going, okay, what, what's on here? So it's, it's definitely one of those things where you, you know, from a marketing standpoint, you know, you, you want to plan ahead. I mean, you should always plan your marketing. Um, I, if you don't, then it, it's not going to get you very far, but um, yep. it's definitely an interesting platform to, to watch as it's unfolded and really during a pandemic. It's always interesting to see things that are birthed during really challenging times in, in history and society. Um, and, and obviously Clubhouse is one of those things. So so with all the customers and the clients that you've worked with, what are some of the common things you see organizations struggle with when it comes to influencer marketing and, and trying to get their, I guess I want to say not necessarily their, their message out, but that's ultimately what ends up boiling out boiling down to is yeah. what do they want to get out?
1: I, I think a lot of um, brands and, and companies what causes them to struggle with influencer marketing is I think, I think one, they underestimate um, what goes into influencer marketing and the amount of the number of moving parts and the amount of time it really takes. I mean, you, everyone kind of thinks um, initially bef- before they get into it. Oh yeah, I'll send some product out and send a few emails. Super easy, super great. And then once they once they dive in, they realize the dynamic. You know, it, it's pretty involved. You're, there's a lot of communication involved. There's a lot of back and forth. Lots of hand holding with creators and influencers. There's just there's just so much there, um, and and. The other thing that gets underestimated is also um, the importance of creative involved in the process, of so really understanding um, what are the concepts and ideas and creative guidance that, that's really going to allow um, an influencer activation to really succeed. And also the level of quality control is another challenge. So, like, there, there are all these moving parts, and, and, and it's very common. Uh, you know, what we've seen early on is, you know, brands would work with us, Say, hey we had a great experience but uh you know we want to you know we want to kind of see what else is out there who else is out there like maybe there's a better way to do this and then they tr- some will try it on their own some will work with third parties and they come back to us and say you know wow like all these things that you guys did in terms of the process you took and the steps you take like we get now why you do it we we didn't really understand why you guys were doing that we thought it might not have been necessary but now we totally get it because we did it with this other company or we we tried doing it in-house and all these problems came up and so you know and and there's no secret sauce for us the secret sauce is we just do so much work in this space and we've had so much time to really learn at each and every step and develop those best practices um, based on what the dynamics like in the industry and what's actually needed for this to succeed
0: well, it's part of your organization's DNA, and you know, everything that you do. There's consistency. You you've taken the lessons learned along the way. You, you know, my hunch is your your teams do one of those weird things that a lot of organizations don't do. And, and in my career, there was uh, before it was a, me running a company. Of course, uh, there was only one organization that ever did this with a project management situation where at the end of every project. They brought the project team together, and then they would bring in some key people from other projects, and we had a debriefing of, okay, what worked? What went well? What did we learn from what we just did? Is there anything that we could apply to any of the other things that we're working on right now? Do we pick up some efficiencies? And when they did that, what they ended up doing was streamlining all the steps that they did in a project to the point where the organization had a couple choices. Number one, they're saying, okay, we're a little heavy on project people now because we're so efficient. We've got these extra people. What should we do? And you know, some organizations will say, well, you know what? We could downsize a little bit because we don't need them. But that organization, which was a Fortune 500 organization, said, well, you know what? What pieces are we missing to add an additional team? And it was only a couple pieces. So all of a sudden, you know they increased their you know ability to take on more clients by 25% yep. if you can find 25% of a revenue boost you're on the front page of business magazine going look at the rapid growth this company has done and it was created by looking at the efficiencies. It wasn't like a cold calling and all the other kind of stuff, which is, some, you know, reaching out and finding new businesses is, is, is important, kind of helps things along. But by looking at how you do things and improving them along the way created that situation where you had a customer leave and they came back it, when you were describing that, I was kind of thinking about the show Mad Men and there was sure. clients that occasionally would leave and all of a sudden they'd come crawling back and Don would welcome them and open arms. Good to see you again at, as if nothing happened and away they go. And, you know, it's going to say, everybody's going to say, well, I can, you know, we can go do this, maybe cheaper. Well, cheaper's not always better. And you get what you pay for, and sometimes you don't even get that. So, tread carefully when you're looking at things. You know, and best practice, it, it pays dividends. It does. I mean, I, I've learned that lesson myself. You know, when I deal with any type of thing that I look for, like okay, yes, I can buy this camera for fifty dollars less than this one, but the ratings on the one that's a little bit higher is like. Heads and tails above everything. Like I'm buying the better camera. Why? It's going to make a big difference in, in the things that I do. You approach that in business. Don't you'll see. Yes, you're going to be spending money, but you're the return you're going to get is going to be generating so many more opportunities for you. So, kudos to that right. client. That kudos to that client that came back. So,
1: yeah, yeah. No, that, that that's exactly right. I, I, I think um, you know. It, you, you you can you, people are stepping over dollars sometimes to pick up pennies with that, right? It's like yeah, you you could save, you know. Th- there there might you know, and, and there's always someone willing to offer to do it for less, right? Um, to to try to win the business, and um, but you know, ultimately, if you're a company, it, you know, do you want to save, you know? 10% on the total campaign price, or do you want to run it 20% more effectively, right? So, so or 30% more effectively, right? Cause like ultimately, if you're a business, you're trying to drive sales, you're trying to drive value. And, um, you know, you're, you're gonna be looking at it from a unit economics standpoint. And so, you know, if you, if you try to save and cut corners, cause, cause that's how it's done, right? When people try to undercut, they're like, oh yeah, we can cut these corners. You don't work with the best influencers. You overpay those influencers actually on an individual level, even though the total amount might cost less. So so you end up actually getting less uh, reach, less impressions, less click-throughs, all that um, for your money. Uh, The content isn't great, so it doesn't convert as well. Uh, And so, you know, you need to do things right, um, regardless of what you do, right? And so um, it doesn't mean the budget has to be massive. It just means that whatever it is you do, you do it right. And so... Um, you know, I, I, one of the things I look at is like, you know, building a brand and marketing is, is, is kind of like building a house, right? Like, are you going to go, you know, cut corners on the foundation? Are you going to cut corners on the framing? Are you going to cut corners on the roofing? You can cut corners on all of that, but what you're going to have is you're going to spend three times as much in repair work and, and, and four times the time. And so it's not, you know, it, oftentimes it's better to do things once and do them right. And of course you never want to overpay But, you know, pay for value for sure.
0: Agreed. And definitely gives you a better return long-term on everything. So uh, one of the questions that came to mind, too, that I want to ask you is, uh, during this pandemic and ultimately when we exit it, where do you see influencer marketing going? What are some of the things that you're seeing already uh, that this pandemic has created that would create maybe some different ways to approach things, you know, going forward.
1: Yeah. I I mean, overall, the pandemic has really increased um, in influencer marketing spends across the board because everything has moved more to digital Um, influencer marketing was always growing just because at the end of the day, the world's becoming more social and, and people trust people, right? Like um, and, and that's where the effectiveness is. And so, um, you know with with that, um, you know, and more time being spent on phones, especially during Covid, um, you know, there's been a big increase in in influencer marketing spends. it's It's been great for our business. Um, and you know, in terms of where I see the market g- going, I think um, we're we're seeing a lot more of influencer marketing going more bottom funnel. So with a lot of large brands, they tended to they they, they have a tendency to look at it just from an awareness standpoint. and and that was mainly driven by the fact that, they really had this fragmented, um, you know, sort, sort of points of, you know, points of, of purchase uh, for their products, right? You can go in store through a retailer, you can, you know, you can go through, through a retail partner or, or one of many, you can go online, you can go to a different site online. So, so it was a very fragmented process. And I think with, with COVID hitting, a lot of brands decided to invest more heavily uh, on their own websites and e-commerce. Um, you know, we saw the shift there. Or um, to you know to, to their partners um, e-commerce sites, but it, it created this level of, of traceability that wasn't really there, and ability to track conversions. And so, so I think that's really been what was needed for a lot of these large brands to Now, a lot of the direct-to-consumer brands were already doing this um, because that, that that was their business, right? And so, um, but it, but I think for the industry as a whole, we're going to see it move more and more bottom funnel, um, and conversions be a bigger sort of
0: focus for brands as opposed to just general awareness. I think it makes a ton of sense. And I know a lot of organizations are are focusing, like you said, you know, they're looking at their own, their own website. Yes. We're on all the social media channels, but they're also going back to the thing that they can control and they're going, okay, you know, how do we get a better grasp of who's coming here? You know, what, what are they looking for? And, and, you know, let's, how we were ranking on, you know, internet search and, you know, especially, you know, with SEO and, and changing landscapes and the end of cookies, I know cookie monster has yeah. got to be disappointed about that, but, <laughs> um, but, you know, all the things that are changing, you know, the stuff with Apple and Facebook and Google changing some things, I believe in June, there's, there's a lot of thing a lot of moving parts when it comes to that but at the end of the day it's like you want to make sure that you have everything on your site where you can one capture all the information that you need to get but also provide the information that your consumers are looking for and and it's a holistic approach because the customers will tell you um that's one of the benefits of this social media world that we live in is customers will be quite vocal on what they want. You know they'll say, You know, why did you change the formula on this? or I really would love to see if you would offer this product with this and it, capture that information. That is uh, that is, is and a lot of people say, well, that's a lot of noise. It's like no, it's you know, organizations prior to social media spent a ton of money trying to get that feedback from customers. Now they get it for a much more affordable rate because they'll tell you as a customer, they'll say, yeah, I would like to see you offer this type of thing or service. And organizations used to pay thousands and thousands on research and calling up people on the phone and saying, okay, we're going to ask you 40 questions on things you'd like to have. And they may or may not capture some things that people want. This way, it's like they're feeding you. They're giving you that information so it's definitely a, a positive thing for business to be able to tap into that
1: absolutely absolutely and, and that's and that's you know I, I think that's been the sort of trend over the years is um, advertising has gone from the big madman uh, sort of world of like here are some big ideas that really excite the the client but but we don't really know what happens afterwards to the world we live in now where you have such a direct feedback loop, it's almost instantaneous. You post a piece of content online. You could see how many people like the content, what people are saying about it. You can compare that to others. You can see how many clicks it's generating, how many purchases. So we, we, we live in a world where there's a lot more information and a a shorter feedback loop. And I think um, that's going to really impact how, um, businesses operate as a whole right it used to be like oh here's marketing off to the side but marketing is really a revenue engine right um and so you know instead of a cost center it's a revenue center right and so i, I think one of the interesting things is um you know why are, are companies like deloitte or Accenture getting into the marketing industry uh well because they know that's what impacts L's and if you can use that data you could affect supply chains you could affect R and D product planning, everything else.
0: Yeah, and that's those those big advisory firms, you know, doing things like that and you know, getting a bigger you know, supply chain. I mean, that's a great example. Yeah. Um, we've to be able to impact supply chain by creating demand for something um, is, and we've seen it, you know, there's things that go viral that, you know, people want to get, whether it was those, you know, those band shoes that had the blood in them or, you know, whatever else yeah. that we happen to see it it's that demand, you know, like we talked about a few minutes ago about the clubhouse and Android phones, you know, everyone's ready. It's like, as soon as that shows up in the store, they're downloading, they're setting up their account and there's going to be a, a ton of people going in. There's a ton of demand for that. And that's why, yep. You know, when when Clubhouse goes public, and this is not stock advice, but you know, you know, I I know they're getting a bunch of revenue, and I know eventually they will go public, and uh, the owners and the creators are gonna be rich. So it's good, and it's good for them. I mean that that bodes well for bringing on more ideas and more things to make organizations come up with concepts and things. That consumers will want and if you do that you're 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 just paving your own road to whatever you know success looks for you yep absolutely eric i've loved our conversation today where can people find out more about you and this incredible work your team's doing
1: yeah i I mean you can go to our website openinfluence.com or you could reach out to me directly i'm very active on um, linkedin and so, you know, feel free to follow me, connect with me, whatever, DM me and, uh, and yeah, we, and, uh, we're looking forward to, uh, to it.
0: Awesome. And I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So Eric, thanks so much for this
1: conversation. I've enjoyed our chat. Awesome. Thanks for having me again. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for listening to the, the breakfast, breakfast leadership, leadership show, show, part of the breakfast leadership network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.